Good to see you. Good to be here. Wow. I'm so glad we come to this church because this is the only place that ever lets me speak. So I'm just so delighted to be here. Wasn't the music good in that last song? Every once in a while, Pastor Wayne will kind of do a little Steven Tyler. He just sounds like Aerosmith up there, and he's just going crazy. And I, so I just thought, wow, he just he was just channeling God bless Steven Tyler today. I just thought that was, that was wonderful. So good to see you. Uh, Pastor Eddie and Amanda are away, and... Uh, he called me a, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he said, I'm going to be gone uh, Valentine's Sunday. Would you mind speaking? And I said, oh, I'd be glad to. However, uh, Pastor John had asked if I would uh, speak at the uh, Valentine's banquet that we're having. And uh, uh, he said, well, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's easy for him to say. It doesn't matter. I've only got one sermon, so I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, <laughs> But uh, then he said, well, actually, it's not Valentine's Sunday. It's the Sunday before Valentine's. So that kind of took a little pressure off. And then I, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I'm probably going to regret telling you this. But I decided in light of that, I told my wife, I'm going to do something I have never done before. Not today, but Friday. I'm just going to do. I, so I want to prepare you to not come expecting anything profound. We're just going to do 15 minutes of stand up comedy. My. My sister does that. It doesn't look that hard. So I'm going <laughs> to. I probably will be calling her on Saturday. Stand. I'm apologizing for all the things I've ever said about you. It's not as easy as I thought it was. So I don't know. That had has something to do with something. But I don't know what. Uh, this is the time of the year that most of us started at the beginning of the year uh, reading through the Bible. Uh, a lot of us did that i've done that for several years I, i've told you this this is a great this is just kind of a little something you might try uh i i get a new bible not necessarily new i'll just find one laying around the house and i'll say this is the bible i'm going to read through this year and i read through that bible all year long with with one of our kids or now grandkids in mind and i read through the bible all year and i mark it and underline it and then I haven't given to them yet, but I've got a stack of about five or six Bibles. Uh, since when I die, they're getting absolutely nothing else. I thought, well, at least I'll give them a Bible. And each one with this, this, with this child in mind, with this child in mind. And so we started to begin the year reading through the Bible. Uh, and most of us right now have just finished Genesis. We're about halfway through Exodus, maybe. You're starting in Leviticus. God help us, we're praying for April and we'll be through all of that stuff. And, but, uh, so I thought I'd kind of go back to a story that we read not long ago uh, in, in the last maybe 14 or 16 chapters of Genesis and talk a little bit about that story and the lessons that we learn from the life of Joseph, if that's right. We're going to talk about lessons from the life of Joseph. Uh, and let me pray with this very, very quickly. Father, thanks. For everything you have done and said in this service this morning, we believe that it is not coincidental or accidental, but you have guided and directed uh, from the moment we took that very first awakened breath uh, early this morning, and you'll guide us now. So I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, and you would say to us exactly what we need to hear. In your wonderful, wonderful name we pray. Amen. I need you to help me this morning. We're going we're gonna to try something. Uh, I always try stuff. 
Um, half of what I tried doesn't work, but it doesn't matter. We're gonna try. We're gonna try something. Um, I, I we're gonna. I want to tell you this story, and and sometimes you know something happens and it's really good, and I'm gonna give you this, you know, and we're gonna say, I want you to say that's good. Okay, let's practice. You ready? Yeah, good, good, man. You are great. All right. And then sometimes I'll give you this and we're going to say that's bad. Yeah, it's not real complicated. Good or bad. Okay, let's try it one more time. Yes, good. All right. Yeah. All right. This is great. I have been married 42 years. Nobody has done anything I've asked him to do for a long, long time. So this is, this is good. All right. Let me tell you a story. God gave Jacob a son. His name was Joseph. And Jacob loved him very, very, very much. No, actually, that's bad. Because he had 11 other sons. And, and Jacob elevated Joseph and, and, and talked about him and bragged on him and gave him a coat of many colors to the point that it made all the other brothers very, very jealous. No, actually, that's good because God gave Joseph a dream. And the dream was how he would bow, all the other brothers would bow down before them, before him, and that God would raise him up to be a great ruler no that's bad uh yeah because you see the brothers decided to kill him they they got so jealous they decided to kill him no that's good because because reuben the oldest son said i'm gonna let's don't kill him let's just throw him in a pit and i'll come back and save him later yeah no that's bad because while he was in the pit and Reuben was gone, some, some slave traders came by and the first kind of instance of human trafficking, the brothers took him out and sold him to the slave traders. No, that's good because they took him to Egypt. And while he was in Egypt, a guy by the name of Potiphar, who was very wealthy, uh, took Joseph in and made him the ruler over everything in his house and, and said, you have complete control of everything in the house. That's No, that's bad. Because while Potiphar was good, his wife not so much, and she seduced him and lied about him and had him thrown into prison. No, that's good. Because while he was in prison, he met two men and they became very good friends. And he interpreted dreams for each one of them. Well, that's good and bad because one of the dreams was very good and one of the dreams was very bad. The good guy ended up back in, in Pharaoh's house as a servant of Pharaoh. And he promised Joseph, when I get back in Pharaoh's house, I will get you out of prison. No, that's bad because he forgot and... Yeah, that's bad because he forgot. But a couple of years went by and at just the right time, Pharaoh had a dream and he needed someone to interpret that dream. 
the servant remembered Joseph, and so he told Pharaoh about Joseph. Pharaoh got Joseph out of prison. Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and yes, that's good. They, he, he brought him in, and actually Pharaoh made Joseph, he gave him great power. He made him prince over all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. And Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of everything in Egypt. No, that's bad. Because a great famine was coming and the whole world was going to be hungry. And yeah, that is bad. And uh, but God used that to bring Joseph's brothers and his father, Jacob, into Egypt. And through what happened to Joseph, God saved not only Egypt, but all of Israel. Yes, that is good. That's very, very good. And you did a good job. So give yourself a hand. So there are, there are a few lessons out of the life of Joseph that I want to just kind of remind us of. And I will tell you just quickly. I, uh, you know, I wonder, I don't know, is this the right message? I don't know. It's just different. When, you, when I was preaching every week, you kind of had a flow you knew. Now, I don't know. Uh, I talked to my son Jacob yesterday. I used to say, the boys heard me say, if God can tell you on Thursday what to preach on Saturday, on Sunday, God can tell you in January what to preach in October. So I would plan my preaching for the whole year. And so Jacob said, uh, you don't, what about that? I said, well, I'm sure God can tell me in January what to preach in February. But I just didn't know to ask him in January. So I didn't know. Anyway, the music this morning just fit right in. So, so here are the lessons I want to share with you from the life of Joseph. First thing I want to say is this. It's hard to tell bad circumstances when we are right in the middle of them it's hard to tell whether that's good or bad when we're caught up right in the middle of everything if this story is true in the bible if this lesson is true in the bible it is never more true than it is right here in the life of joseph he is probably the greatest example of that Joseph is in and out and up and down and on top and on bottom. He's winning and he's losing. And every time we think we have God figured out of what he is doing in the life of Joseph, God is doing something completely different. And what we thought was bad turns out to be good. And what we thought was good turns out to be bad. And, and we just recognize that when we're right in the middle of our stuff, it is hard to figure out whether it's good or bad. And what God is actually doing. There's an old saying, I can't see the forest for the trees. I am so close to what's going on that it's hard for me to, to make out the big picture. Does that make sense to you? I was, uh, I was 14. Here's a, here's a deep, dark confession. I, I was 14 years old. Uh, I was traveling with a, a state youth choir. And we spent about three weeks during the summer. We'd go from church to church and singing every night. And, you know, back in those days, you just we stayed in houses with people. And so there's a couple of guys and they'd throw a couple of guys in a double bed and we'd sleep together. And I was about probably probably as I recall, probably about the time I was really having my first girlfriend, you know. So I'm starting, you know, I'm having a girlfriend. I'm sure I have those thoughts on my mind. And so I go to sleep with Mike Mort. His name was Michael Mort, great guitar player. Uh, he was a senior in high school. I was, a, I was about 14. 
And sometime in the middle of the night, I remember waking up with my arm around Michael Mort and my head on his chest and just holding him tight. And by the way, thinking, that's bad. I, 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 man, I, I, oh my goodness. And you know, there's just, there's just about 20 seconds where you're wide awake thinking, what do I do now? I don't, I don't know what to do. I prayed as I have never prayed before. God, either keep him asleep or kill him dead. Either one. I don't. Uh, and I pulled my arm off and I pulled my arm out and I got way on the other side of the bed. He never, his breathing never changed. I said, oh, God, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Went down to breakfast the next morning with all the kids that are eating breakfast. And Mike Mort never looked up. He said, Hello, sweetheart. <laughs> he was a cute guy, I will say that. Sometimes we are so caught up in hugging the circumstances and the situation, we can't really see what it is we've got a hold of. And we need to back up a little bit and begin to see that God is at work in circumstances that we cannot even imagine. Uh, here's a here's a couple of quick examples. In uh, sometime before 1492, we believed that the world was flat. And, you know, I would have believed that you look as far as you can see and then you can't see anymore. And we but we were so close to the horizon, we couldn't see. And then. Columbus in 1492 scaled the ocean blue and found we found out the world wasn't flat. Uh, in June on June 25th, 1876, uh, a guy by the name of Lieutenant Colonel George Custer believed that there was just a little group of Lakota Indians on the other side of a hill and they were going to surprise them and ride in. And when they crested the hill, they realized it was this huge nation and it was Little Bighorn and Custer's last stand. Sometimes we are so close to what's going on, we can't see the big picture. Here's one that came to my mind a couple of weeks ago. In April of 2018, nine NFL teams thought Patrick Mahomes was just kind of a flash in the pan and wouldn't be a good NFL quarterback. And the Kansas City Chiefs drafted him 10th. The Tennessee Titans passed on him. Uh, the Chicago Bears took a quarterback, uh, uh, Matt Kupchak, uh, Trubisky. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for I was studying the Bible instead of the NFL. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no offense, Pastor John, but I was paying attention. To... Sometimes we are so close to the circumstances of our lives that it's difficult for us to discern, is this good or bad, what's really going on in our lives. Romans 8.28 says, We believe and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And we believe that. And we know that. But I'll just tell you, when I am in the middle of the stuff, I forget all about that. And all of my life begins to be dictated by the circumstances rather than by the big picture of what God is trying to accomplish in me and for me. Um, 
there are some things that cause that. Uh, in counseling, we talk a lot about good decision-making and what makes good decisions difficult. Here are three things that I talk to people about all the time. There's dis- there is decision fatigue. Do you know that the average person makes about 2,000 decisions a day? De- de- decision fatigue. We are absolutely exhausted <clears throat> by the end of the day. I'm not sure, should I say, Yes, dear, or no, dear. I'm not sure what decision I'm supposed to make. And we just get tired of making good decisions, and finally, it begins to overwhelm us. There's constant distraction. We are more bombarded with information and stuff than we ever have been before. I was reading this week that we have five times more information available to us on almost any given subject than we did 25 years ago. Five times more on any given, and so we can we can analyze until we're paralyzed, and we try to make, and we finally get caught up in the circumstances of life. And finally, there's emotional bias. We are we are as human beings, we are more prone to believe feeling than we are to believe fact. That's just the way we are. A study was done a few years ago, and I, I, I share this with couples all the time because they're trying to decide, is this marriage good or is this marriage bad? A, couple was, uh, a study was done a few years ago, and they staged an, an automobile accident in front of a group of people, and then they brought them aside and they interviewed them. And to half of the people, they said, do you think anyone was hurt in that, uh, in that, when those two cars bumped into each other? And almost 100% said, no, no one was hurt. The other half, they said, do you think anyone was hurt when those two cars crashed into each other? And almost 100% said, yes, I think someone was probably hurt in that. The emotion of that word crash versus bump gave us this bias until we thought this is the way it is rather than this is the way it is. And when I am feeling down and blue and and beaten up and overwhelmed, my bias makes me believe that rather than believe what I know is true, which is God works all things together for good. And so Paul tries to remind us we believe not in what is seen, but what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And that's great. It's just that when I'm in the middle of the stuff, I, I start to trust the circumstances. But the lesson is, you cannot trust your circumstances. Let's just say that. You cannot trust your circumstances. Okay? Well, here's the second thing. Sometimes bad people can do good things, and good people can do bad things, And all people can do stupid things. Sometimes that's just the way it is. There are people that I think, man, nothing good will ever come out of that person. And they can do some of the most amazing good things. And then I see other people that are good and and they can, how can they do such mean things? And then I see people that are somewhat intelligent and they just do the dumbest things. How does that happen? Jacob is a deceiver, but he becomes Israel, the father of God's people. 
the brothers, for the most part, are bad. They try to kill Joseph. But later on in the story, you remember that they are willing to sacrifice themselves to save their baby brother, Benjamin. Uh, Potiphar is a good guy. He takes Joseph in and he, he puts him in charge. His wife, not so much. So Potiphar believes his wife instead of Joseph and he throws Joseph in jail. And the Pharaohs are all bad. All the Pharaohs are bad. But this Pharaoh rescues all of Egypt and all of Israel. And God uses bad people to do good things and good people to do bad things. Listen, that's true of you. I want you to know that's true of you. And that's also true of me. I have seen myself do some of the stupidest things. And think, how you've seen me do some of the stupidest things too. Thanks, Rhonda. I don't need any help with this. I got Doris encouraging me. Yeah. I, you know, I, and I think, how did that happen? How, why did I say that at that moment? Why did I react that way? Bad people can do good things and good people can do bad things. And everybody's capable of doing stupid things from time to time. There is the compensation effect. The compensation effect says, I just have this idea that I, I do enough good things that it outweighs the bad things. So when you get before St. Peter and you say, uh, St. Peter, here's why I think I'm going to get into heaven. I'm going to say, because I, I know I did some bad things, but I did more good things than I did bad things. And so, you know, this compensatory uh, idea is that, and we, we buy into that. Well, I know I do some bad things, but I do more good things. So there's also the power of names. It's so important that we put the right names on things. We talk about fudging on our income tax or telling little white lies. And I'll be honest, those things don't sound that bad to me. What if we talk about cheating on our income tax or lying? It's important that we use the right name. When we use the wrong names, we are capable of talking ourselves into doing some of the most awful things. And so when when couples come into my office and he said I had an uh, inappropriate relationship, I said, no, we don't have inappropriate relationships. We have affairs. You know, I, I, uh, I, I use uh, alcohol and drugs, you know, sometimes to excess. No, we don't use alcohol and drugs to excess. We're addicted. You know, we use the right words and it helps us to do the right things. Uh, and then finally, there is there's cognitive not finally there's cognitive dissonance dissonance cognitive dissonance. I I know I'm doing the wrong thing, but I'm just a good person. I'm just a good person. I just love this. I, I love now. Uh, well, okay, I, I don't know. Let me let me say this. I I, I like I, I love Steve Harvey. I, I like Steve Harvey, and he has a thing. Have you ever seen Steve Harvey's thing where he introduces Jesus? It is amazing. It is, it's just, uh, man, I listen to that. I cry. It's wonderful. It's amazing. And then, and then I listened to it in the context of his whole show. It was filthy. His show is filthy. But, I, you know, I say, oh, he's a good guy. Yeah, I know he lies and cheats and drinks and steals, but he's a good guy. Uh, and I say that about myself, too. I, well, I don't lie and cheat and steal, but I, but I or drink. I, I, I forgot what I said. I got to go back and I got to. I got to make sure I covered every one of those. I don't, whatever I said, I don't do that. I just, that's it. 
Then there is the delusion of power. If I have the ability to do this, might makes right, and I've been put in power, and I will do, especially people in power, will do some of the most ill-advised and stupid and ungodly things because they are in power. Listen, I, if you know anything about me, you know I avoid political statements like the plague. Uh, and let me just simply say, our political system is fraught with this on every side. I don't know if there's 10 parties, then 10 parties would be fraught with this. And, and so what I'm trying to say to us is we just simply cannot trust that. We don't put our confidence in that. We recognize our moral depravity. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We understand the sin nature, that there is something in us that will do the wrong thing every time we get the opportunity. I know, Paul says in Romans 7, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I desire what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. We recognize this sin nature in us, and we admit to this spirit of foolishness that we just have a foolish heart in romans 1 paul said for although they knew god they neither glorified god nor gave thanks to him but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened listen there is in me from the moment of the fall there is in me the thing that says if i have the opportunity i'm going to do the wrong thing rather than the right thing and i'm going to make the dumb choice rather than the smart choice and that is true of me, it's true of you, it's just true of people in general. People will attack you, they will accuse you, they will abandon you. Joseph's brothers attacked him and threw him in the pit. Uh, Potiphar's wife accused him and threw him in the jail. And it seemed like his friends abandoned him and left him in the prison. That will happen to you. We just don't put our trust in them. Galatians 2.20 gives us our only hope. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I've said this to you. I read the NIV, but I quote the King James. I don't know why that is. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I cannot trust my circumstances, and I cannot trust people so the writer of hebrews says let us fix our eyes on jesus the author and finisher of our faith you see these lessons in the life of joseph i can't trust my circumstances i can't trust people and then here's another thing out of this story uh god's ways are not our ways and our ways get in the way of god's ways but god's way will happen always anyway that's just an important thing to learn. All right, I want you to say that three times really fast, okay? God's ways are not our ways. Our ways get in the way of God's ways. But God's way will happen always anyway. Up to this point in Scripture, the, the Bible has been a litany of people who have tried to do things their way and ended up just getting in the way of what God was trying to accomplish. Abraham and Sarah were waiting for this promised son that God said he would give them. It was a little bit slow, so they brought Sarah's uh, uh, servant Haggai in. And Abraham and Haggai had a son Ishmael. 
And most of the struggle we have in the Middle East today is because Abraham and Sarah tried to do it their way rather than do it God's way. And we're still fighting that battle today. Uh, Rebecca or uh, Rachel and Jacob, uh, they they decide they're going to make sure that Jacob gets the birthright and not Esau. And so they connive and work out a plan and go behind Isaac's back and steal the birthright and the blessing. And Esau and Jacob are mad, and Esau goes off and have has Moabite children, whatever that means. And most of the battles in the Scripture with the children of Israel from then on are Esau's children battling with Jacob's children. People who try to take things into their own hands and do it their own way rather than do it God's way and end up just getting in the way of what God is trying to accomplish anyway. The brothers throw Joseph in the pit, and Joseph ends up in the prison. But he makes it to the palace because God's way will always happen anyway, in spite of the fact that we try to have our way and get in God's way. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, here's an interesting thought. God's ways are better than my ways. God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And if I try to let God have his way rather than me dictate my way, most of the time the way that I'm in gets me out of the way. And God just does amazing things in my life and through me. God uses, here, so here's some of God's ways. God uses divine delays. God always comes through. He just doesn't always come through today. Sometimes God says, let's just wait. My friend Robert says, I hate being in the weights. Sometimes it's just hard to be in the weights. I know that God is in charge. I know that God is going to do something great, but I'm just waiting. And God uses that delay to refine us and perfect us and make us the people that he wants us to be. Joseph gets thrown into prison. He talks to his friend. He interprets the dream. His friend gets out. Yes, it's going to be good. I'm getting out of prison. And God says, well, let's just wait. And he waits. A couple of years go by. And God waits until just the right time. What if Joseph had gotten out earlier? Pharaoh would have had the dream and Joseph is already on his way. Or what if Pharaoh, or God had got, or, or Joseph had gotten out much later and not been? God brought him out at just the right time. God uses divine delays. And so we wait on God. God uses a holy variety he does things in different ways. Listen, if, if you have God figured out, then your God is way too small. <laughs> your God is not able to be the God of the universe if you have him all figured out. God does things different ways. God just surprises us all the time. You remember uh, the children of Israel in the battle of Jericho? And God says, hey, i got a great plan, Joshua. Here's what I want you to do. Walk around the wall every day. Blow the trumpets. Do that for seven days. On the seventh day, walk around the wall seven times. Blow the trumpets, and the walls will come tumbling down. It's going to be a great battle. They're going to write a great song about it. It's going to be amazing. You will love this. And Joseph said, I mean, uh, Joshua says, really? 
that's the best plan you got? And he said, yeah, that's the plan. Let's do that. And so they do the plan. And the wall, it's, in, it's there. Just read it. It all, it just. The next battle is the battle of Ai. And Josh says, I know what let's do. Let's walk around the wall seven times. Let's blow the trumpet. We've been here before. We know. And God says, no. Let's divide your troops up. Put some in the back, some in the front. Go out, knock on the door, call them ugly names. And, when, and you run. And when they come out after you, the bad guy, the other guys are going to get them. It's a completely different way of doing things. If we think we know exactly how God is going to work, we have missed God completely. So we, we listen to God over and over and over again. And then God uses sanctified suffering. There is going to be a time when y'all get so sick of hearing me because I really do only have one sermon, I, I, and it's this sermon. That God uses our hurts for our good and for his glory. If, if I have a message, that's the message. That the, that the stuff that we are going through, this, so that God uses that. In James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, James says, Consider it pure joy. Pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance if joseph had not been put in the pit he would never have ended up in the prison and if he hadn't been in the prison he wouldn't have made it to the palace and so we surrender to god we wait on god we listen to god and we surrender to god and we say god you know what your ways are better than my ways i just don't trust me but i can trust you you cannot trust your circumstances you cannot trust other people and you cannot trust yourself trust in the lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path well if you can't trust your circumstances and you can't trust people and you can't trust yourself You'd better trust God. That's the lesson from Joseph. You just better trust God. Because I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know if he's right or wrong. I don't know if I'm up or down. I just know I better trust God. Because all this other stuff is too hard for me to figure out. Jeremiah 29, 11 is such an uh, overspoken verse. But it's just so good. Uh, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans to bless you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And I just trust that. Well, this, just, this thing I'm going through, it just doesn't make any sense. You know what? I don't trust this thing I'm going through. I trust that. Well, this person I've been talking to, they said I should do this. You know what? I don't trust those people I'm talking to, except for Pastor Eddie. I don't trust those people I'm talking to. In case this is being recorded, I want to make sure we got that on tape. I trust God. Well, I, you know, I've always done it this way before. I don't even trust me. I trust God. Your circumstances will overwhelm you and drag you under. If they haven't, they will. But God is bigger than your circumstances. People will hurt you, harm you, and head you in the wrong direction if you let them. But God is better than any person you'll ever encounter. 
and you can't even trust your own plans left to your own devices, you'll foul up, fall down, and fail time and time again. But God is brighter than you are. Our message comes from our messes, our testimony from our test, our victory from our battles, and everything that looks like it's not good to us, God is saying, hey, I'm working in all this, and if you'll give me a little time, and if you'll listen to me, and if you'll surrender this to me, I'm going to do something that will knock your socks off, and you'll say, that's good, that's good. Yeah. Well... Let me tell you a story, and uh, this is such a deep, moving, emotional, oh, I'm just, I just almost hate to bring this up, it is just such a, I watched my grandson, John Michael, play basketball yesterday. In fact, I didn't watch. Not many of you know this about me, but I am the assistant coach of the 12-year-old one-goal Commodores team, the assistant, the assistant to the head coach. I am right up there with the brain trust. My son Josh is the coach. And I'm right up there, the assistant coach of the 12-year-olds. And, and, uh, and we were having a close game. And it was tough. In fact, I almost couldn't preach this morning because I screamed. But it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a tough, it was close. It was close. And John Michael, he's 12, and he's playing pretty good. And, and, and we get right down. I mean, we are, there's three seconds left on the clock. And Josh calls timeout, and we draw up a quick play, and we're going to throw the ball into John Michael. Uh, John Michael is going to be right at the half court line, and John Michael, you got time for about two dribbles, and that's it. And then you're going to throw the ball up, and throws the ball in. John Michael takes about two dribbles. He goes up and he shoots it, and I mean, the minute it left his fingers, I said, "It's good! It's good! It's good!" And you know what? It was. It was good. John Michael drained it. The crowd went wild. Thousands of people came out of the stands. The crowd went wild. It was amazing. It was amazing. And I'm sitting on the bench, and I see John Michael running at me. And John Michael's like his dad and like his grandmother. He is quiet and shy and reserved. And he is running at me, and he is screaming at the top of his lungs. And I just... And I'll be honest, all night long, in fact, Pastor Wayne, while we were worshiping, I would try to close my eyes to praise God, and I would just see John Michael's face. (laughs) 17 years ago, I made the dumbest choices of my life. So stupid. So, so bad. So awful. Y'all have heard me enough. You, You know those choices. I don't have to go into... So bad. And to tell you the truth, I rack my brain and try to think, how in the world would I ever have seen John Michael's face had I not done that dumb stuff? Because God used that to bring us to Middle Tennessee and to restore Doris and I and and for Josh to meet uh, Jennifer and for Jennifer and Josh to move back here and to have their boys and for John Michael to be born and to be raised up in a Christian home and for me to be able to be his assistant basketball coach and see him running off the floor. I cannot, there's no way I can think of how we got to that point without going through the struggles and the trials and the tests of back then. 
And so Joseph says, what you meant to me for bad, God meant for my good. And that's good. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Well, here's the problem with that. It's hard to believe that when you're in the midst of the circumstances. It's hard to believe that when people have wounded you and hurt you and broken you. It's hard to believe that maybe sometimes when you listen to those words come out of your mouth, how can I be so stupid? It's hard to believe that we're in the middle of the mess. But it is true. It is true. God's good all the time. And all the time, God is good, whether our circumstances are or other people are, or even whether we are, God is still good.